0: Okay, so if you have a Bible or if you have one of our bulletins, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. So uh, we're actually going to be looking, we're covering a lot of ground, but Ephesians 5 is kind of going to be sort of our landing point or kind of the, our home base for today. So um, we'll get to that in just a second. So I've been thinking a lot, a lot about what it means to be an adult um, because I turned 40 this year and that's the thing that I thought about a lot. I've been thinking, because the thing about before before I turned 40, I felt like I could I could still sort of like convince myself that I, w- I was not fully an adult yet that I still had like growing up to do but then once you hit 40 it's like no the denial is over you can't you, you can no longer without like buying a sports car or um, like uh, getting a getting a spray tan or something like that like I, I don't I don't I, I don't know if there's like ways that I can just manifest um, like the, the the youth that I no longer possess but um, anyway but but being an adult is this interesting sort of thing because we're we're still we're, we're fully grown. If, if you are an adult, uh, and and once the third kid shows up, that's that's kind of the moment where you're like, now nah, you're you're sort of you're you're locked in on this one. Um, but uh, you're locked in on, on being an, not not on having the kid, but on being an adult. Um, but the thing is, like, the, but the thing about being an adult is this interesting sort of paradox because we're fully grown. Like, I'm I'm all done with like graduation ceremonies and um, for for myself at least, and yet. In in, in a way, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still becoming a person. I'm still in in the process of becoming more and more of, of who I've always meant to become. So, I've been thinking about this a lot because it's this again, this paradoxical sort of sort of existence. Whereas I'm 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 all grown up. Like I'm not getting any taller or anything like that. But at the same time, like I'm I'm nowhere near done with my like kind of evolution as a person of of becoming more and more of who I was created to be. And so the thing about morality in the scriptures is we, we have these appeals to, be, to people living in a certain way or to people like l- l- being a certain type of moral person. And it isn't simply because like some actions are good and some actions are bad. In the scriptures, it's because the writers are inviting us to become certain types of people. We're being invited to grow, to continue to, to grow and to become more and more of who we were always created to be. And and so, some modes of being are seen as positive, like moves in the right direction. Some are seen as negative. And I don't know about you, like to me, morality growing up in like certain church environments was always like, do these things because if you don't do these things, then God will be angry at you for not doing these things. Or don't do these things because if you do these things, then God will be angry at you. And so it was always like this, this very like concrete list of right and wrong, good and bad, do this, don't do that. And it was never really about like who you're becoming. It was always about just like the the actions that you're taking and it doesn't really go, go any further than that. And I would argue that when we encounter the scriptures, it's the opposite. It's an in- invitation to become a certain kind of person. And we're looking at Ephesians 5 and the book of Ephesians is interesting structurally. And we talked about this before, but what's going on in the book of Ephesians is... You have six chapters in the book of Ephesians, and the first three chapters are all de- descriptive, which, which is to say there are no commandments, there are no instructions, there, there's no like do and don't instructions for the first one, chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians. It, it's all descriptive. It's all this writer Paul saying, this is who you are. You are loved. You are welcome. You, are, you were far away and now you're near. You were, you were strangers, but now you're family. And so it's a lot of descriptive language about who you are. And then just once you get into chapter 4, then you begin to get certain kinds of commandments and instructions about this is now, now, now that you know who you are, now go and live this kind of life. So in Ephesians 5, Paul gets really kind of broad about what kinds of people are we becoming? And he begins using language about light and darkness, and um, d- d- specifically to describe who we are and what kinds of people we're becoming. So in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes this. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in, in the Lord. And so again, notice this is descriptive. You were this, and now you are this. Live now. So now that you know that, he says, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So there are ways of being that are dark and destructive according to Paul there are certain ways of living in the world that bring more darkness into the world that are actually harmful not just because like this is bad and this is good it is no this kind of thing brings some kind of darkness into reality but there are also ways of being that bring goodness into the world that bring light and goodness and what Paul is articulating he says you are people who are light so now go and live as if that were true so according to Paul we are capable of doing both things we are capable of bringing light we are also capable of bringing dark. We are capable of bringing lots and lots of good, joyous, life-giving things into the world. We are all also capable of bringing lots of toxic, destructive, harmful things into the world. Then, in verse 14, he says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, so he talks about light and darkness, and he talks about you have the power to bring light, you have the power to bring darkness, and then he, move, he shifts, and he says the thing about wake up, sleeper. In other words, be fully aware of the kind of life that you're living. You are the kind of person. You are invited to be light in the world. So now go and live as if you already are aware of this. So he talks about waking up, becoming aware of the life that you're living. And then in verse 15, which is actually the lectionary passage for the day, in verse 15 he writes, "...be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise." Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So, here, so he goes from. So notice the trajectory. He he starts off with, by saying like, you are light. Now go and live in, in in with the knowledge of you have this power to bring darkness into the world, but you are invited to bring light into the world. So then he says, wake up to this reality, and then he shifts and he stops talking about light and darkness, and he starts talking about wise and foolish. So now we move from light and darkness to wise and foolish. So what Paul's doing here is this really interesting kind of structure that he's putting together. Paul is tapping into a very old Hebrew tradition, or uh, a very old tradition in Hebrew consciousness, known as the wisdom tradition. And this, this, by the way, I realized, I was telling Courtney between services, this, this one sermon could be a whole series. Um, And I I didn't realize until Wednesday that I was writing a series when I should have just been writing a sermon. Um, So there's a lot of ground to cover because what we're talking about is like what is the overall message of the wisdom tradition. We're going to cover all of that. Um, So for Paul, to be people who bring light into the world is connected to our our ability to be wise. So for Paul, there's a direct connection between wisdom and light. And there's also a direct connection between foolishness and darkness. So in the Hebrew tr- scriptures, there are entire books that are dedicated to the exploration of wisdom, most notably uh, the book of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn to the book of Pro- Proverbs chapter 1. We didn't, this isn't in your bu- uh, bulletin. We're going to be all over the place in the book of Proverbs. So I didn't have, there wasn't enough space on the bulletin to put all the Proverbs that we're going to be looking at. Um, but if you have a Bible or if you have an app, you can take a look at the book of Proverbs chapter 1. So just as an aside, by the way, the, wor- in, uh, the word proverb in Hebrew is the word mashal. And mashal literally means comparison. So the wisdom literature of the Proverbs is a series of statements that set one thing against another. So like the, you could literally say that the, the book of Proverbs is the book of comparisons. So when Paul starts using language about light versus darkness or wise versus foolish, Paul is very intentionally tapping into the style of writing of the wisdom writers. So we're looking at Proverbs chapter 1. And so in Proverbs 1, we have like kind of the thesis statement of the entire wisdom literature, of this entire genre. And so in Proverbs 1, beginning of verse 1, they write, the writer writes, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then notice, this is going to sound familiar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So wisdom is about a posture towards all of reality. He talks about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And again, we talked about before, when when the writer, when, when the wisdom writers talk about fear, the fear of the Lord, they're not saying like, uh, like the same fear you feel, feel when you're like running through the, from a tiger in the jungle. This is awe. This is curiosity. This is openness. This is, this is the feeling you get when you're flying in an airplane and you look out the window or when you're standing on the shore and you look out at the ocean and you sort of realize your place in the created order and just how small you are in comparison to all these things. It's this overwhelming sense of like words cannot describe like the awe and curiosity and openness we have. So in the wisdom tradition a posture of openness and curiosity is a virtue. So notice how often the wisdom writer talks about like, the what it means to, to be open and to listen. Let the wise listen. Let the wise add to their learning. So, um, so in the wisdom tradition, a posture of openness and curiosity is a good thing. It's a virtue. Th- this, by the way, this is the problem with fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is a posture that shuts things down. Fundamentalism takes the Bible and says, "Well, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. No, no further questions." Which is, which is what? Which is a way of saying, "Like, we've come to the end of our, our questions. We have no further. We we, we have no further curi- points of curiosity." We a second ago before we started recording, we um we looked at Psalm 111. We looked at one Psalm and we had dozens of questions. How is it possible to have this entire body of literature, and for it to have gone through who knows how many translations, thousands and thousands of years of difference between culture and now, and to have no questions, to say like, oh, well, that, that just settles it. We're, we're there. We're done. How is it possible to have no questions? But fundamentalism says there's no, no, nothing here to learn. There's nothing new here to see. But wisdom, I would argue, is saying, no, no, no. No, the whole thing is guided by our curiosity. The whole thing is guided by our not knowing, by, by our understanding of all of the things that we don't yet know. So, Paul talks about being wise, and he's invi- so when Paul talks about being wise, he's inviting us to a posture of openness. Wisdom, by the way, is not just about intelligence or IQ. It's easy to conflate these two things, to assume that wisdom is the same thing as intelligence. It's not. It's uh, it's about no- it's about the knowledge. Or, I'm sorry. It's less about knowledge, and it's more about a posture towards all of life. It's possible to know some. It's it's possible to know somebody that has got like multiple PhDs, and for that person to be to to fully lack wisdom. It's also possible to know someone who's like a sophomore in high school and for that person to be filled with wisdom. Because this isn't just about knowledge. It's about our posture towards all of, of life. It's am I, am I trying to learn something? Am I, am I, do I see myself as a student or do I see myself as just somebody who's got the whole thing figured out and I have nothing left to learn? Wisdom is a way of saying, no, the, whole, the, the entire world is your classroom. Everyone is your teacher. Wisdom is about understanding that we, we will never stop learning. No matter how old we get, we remain students in our own lives. So when Paul talks about being wise, he's inviting us to a posture of openness. But it's also more than that. He's, Paul is interested in light and darkness. It's not just about what we know and what we don't know. It's not just about, am I curious or am I not curious? Paul, Paul's p- point of interest here is, am I bringing light or am I bringing darkness into the world? Am I bringing good or am I bringing evil into the world? Because apparently there are ways to bring more light into the world and there are ways to bring more darkness into the world. And the difference, according to Paul, has something to do with our connection to wisdom. in In the last service, somebody raised, I think, a really good question when we were looking at the psalm, which is, how is it possible? Uh, how is it possible for someone to connect themselves to the story of Jesus, and to still do lots and lots of harm and damage? How is how is it possible for for someone to to seem to have the fear of the Lord, or to to be in some way connected? To, to this larger story to use all the right language and yet to still do lots and lots of damage. I talked about how on January the 6th, the wow, I almost, I almost really hurt myself <laughs> just now. Um, on, on January the 6th, there, there were, you know, when, when uh, the mob of people were storming the Capitol and you saw lots and lots of people doing lots of violent things. And we've heard the testimonies of the people who were there and how scary and violent it was. And if you were, I remember watching and very specifically seeing like, Flags with Bible verses on them. And a cross was put up, like, about 20 feet away from a gallows. And, 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 to, and to think, like, oh, there, there, there's a group of people who seem to be using a lot of the same language that we use every single Sunday morning when talking about Jesus or God or the Bible or whatever. But they're doing lots and lots of very harmful, dark, I would argue dark, I, I'll just use the word evil, things with that. And so what do we do, I mean, and, and I mean that's, that's not an isolated incident. We, we, we come from a long line of people who have used the scriptures and used the name of Jesus to bring lots and lots of darkness and harm into the world. So how is it possible that you could have this language and to still bring darkness and to still have some sort of disconnection from light and goodness in the world? And I think Paul's answer to that question is, oh, the difference is because um, what, what, you, what you're seeing there isn't just a lack of light, isn't just a darkness, it's a lack of wisdom. So Paul has, has, sees a direct connection between goodness and wisdom, between light and wisdom. So when Paul talks about wisdom, he's not just talking about like making good choices. He's talking about what does it look like for us to bring light and goodness into the world. And um, the difference between darkness and light has something to do with wisdom. So then, in uh, going back to Ephesians chapter 5, um, in Ephesians 5, after that, he says, so he says, therefore, do not be, in verse 17, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then in verse 18, he seems to totally shift. And he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which, um, seems out of nowhere to be like, also, by the way, why, uh, you know, like why, why, why is that his thing right here? Well, there's lots of disagreement about why Paul puts this in here. One theory that I thought was really interesting um, that I found was that it's possible that Paul is making a direct reference to the god Dionysus, um, because in in, in lots of major cities at this time, at which Ephesus was, one of, the, one of the common forms of worship of other gods would have been the worship of the god Dionysus. Dionysus, among other things, is the god of wine. And so, but not just the god of wine, he's the god of joy. So basically, you would make offerings to certain gods if you wanted your crops to grow. But then if your crops did grow and you wanted to be joyful about the fact that your crops grew or you wanted to be, feel joy about anything, you would make an offering. You would go into the Dionysian temple, you would make an offering to Dionysus, and then you would literally drink as much wine as your body could handle uh, and, and worship the god Dionysus. And so because Dionysus is the giver of joy. And so what Paul's doing here is he's trying to say, like, listen, joy does not necessarily come from this con- these conventional ways that we, th- that we think they do. So he, that's why he draws this, com- again, this comparison. He says, um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Notice, by the way, he also doesn't say don't drink. He just says, don't get drunk on wine. Um, he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking w- to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the, sp- from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to, the, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, which sounds obnoxious, right? Like, <laughs> Don't drink wine, just sing songs. Um, what is Paul, like, what, why, why is Paul asking us to, to be lame, um, basically? <laughs> uh, but um, what, what he's doing here is he's not saying, like, just do, he's not saying, like, literally just sing songs all the time. And what, what he's saying here is he's saying, no, what you're trying, what, what you're invited to do is tap into a constant state of remembering that there are things to be grateful for and there are things to celebrate. So he's saying, like, I realize, if you're going to take the Dionysian approach to, to verse 18, uh, he's saying, like, I realize there, are, there, there is this God that some people pray to that will just, like, give them joy, that, that will just implant them with joy. But Paul is saying, but there's this other source of joy that actually comes from a realization of you've already been given the gifts that you need, and you already have things to be grateful for. So again, this is about a posture. It's about a posture towards all of life. It's about living from a place of goodness and and joy and gratitude. Wisdom invites us into a space where we remember that we have things to be grateful for. So so when Paul talks about goodness and light and light and darkness and wisdom, he's inviting us into a way, he's inviting us into a mode of being. He's saying you can become the kind of person who is tapped into wisdom in all sorts of ways. So Wisdom is something we can tap tap into. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to kind of give us some questions that we can ask, which raise I think the that the wisdom literature is giving us. The wisdom literature, I would argue, is posing a series of questions about what kind of like are we the kinds of people who are wise or are we not? Again, wise isn't just like intellect. It's not just like, am I making the right decisions or am I not making the right decisions? It is what is your posture towards life? So in fact, I would argue that's the first question. The first question of wisdom is, what is my posture towards the world around me? Am I open or am I closed? Am I curious or am I shut down? Um, Everything we've talked about so far raises this question. What is my posture towards all of life? Do do I move through the world as someone who who sees other people as my teachers? Or do I move through the world as someone who who sees the whole thing as, the whole thing's figured out, all I have, I, I have, I have the answers if, if just somebody would finally ask me um, what, what the answers are. Um, but again, it's, if you look back at Proverbs 1, this writer says, let, let those who seek wisdom, let them, let them constantly be in a state of, of learning and questioning and, and asking. May, may, we, may we never run out of questions. May we never stop realizing how little we know. The beginning of wisdom, I would argue that, one, that he, he says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Maybe another way to say that is the beginning of wisdom is understanding how little we already know. So so that, the first question is, what is my posture towards the world around me? The second question is, how am I using my words? Now Now we're talking specifically about light and darkness, right? We're talking about like, what does it mean to bring light? What does it mean to bring darkness? And a big part of that has to do with how we use our words. Look at Proverbs 13. In Proverbs 13, um, there's all, this is all over the Proverbs. So I'm just giving you like a, little, just a, just a little sliver of, of all the different places this shows up. But in Proverbs 13, verse 3, it says, Those who guard their lips pre- preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Then in verse 14, verse 3, the, the writer says, A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Then if you jump to ver- chapter 15, verse 4, The writer says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Over and over and over again we have this this reminder that how we use our words matters, and how we use our, your words have the power to bring light and to bring darkness. I, um, I'm sure will not be be a surprise to anybody uh, who knows me, but when I was a kid, the thing that got me in trouble the most was my words. I, um, I was what grown-ups might refer to as, my kid's in the room, so I'll I'll edit this, but uh, a smart-mouthed Kid, uh, <laughs> mouth was not the word that they used, but that's what I was, and so um, so I, I, I my my words would more often than not get me into trouble, and um, because and, I, and so I had to learn really early that my words have a certain amount of power to them, but how how I speak to other people matters, and how I use my words matters. So, in the wisdom tradition, it, there's this reminder that words have have like this heavy weight to them. Words are often where violence and dehumanization starts. I was actually just this week listening to an old podcast um, from Brene Brown, and she was uh, talking about how every, every genocidal movement, every, every, every movement that decided that one group of people was less human than another began with words about those groups of people, that we use our words to dehumanize and, and shrink and, and, to, and to make other people less than we are. So words words can do lots and lots of violence. Our words are often where the violence begins. Have you ever um, have you ever gotten an email from somebody and that, that person said something that cut you so deep and it stayed with you for weeks? Have you ever have you ever in, had an encounter with somebody and they said something just like just the right thing, just like the most passive aggressive critical thing, and it just stayed with you for way way longer than you wanted it to? Or um, on the o- other side of it, have you ever? been having a really rough time and someone came alongside you and said, hey, you're doing a great job. I I just want you to know that I see you and you're doing great and how that gave you life. Your words have power. Your words have an amazing amount of power. Your words can bring light and your words can bring darkness. There's a reason that the writer of Proverbs over and over and over again talks about how the the words of the wise bring life and the words of, of the foolish or of the simple or of the violent bring darkness and despair and death. When Paul talks about light and darkness and wise and foolish, I think Paul is r- making reference, in some ways, to this ancient tradition that says, your words actually have a lot of power. And so how I use my words when I'm talking to other people, that matters. And that actually carries a lot of weight to it. So, so the first question is, what's my posture to the world around me? And the second question is, how do I use my words? How, do, do, my words do, I, do I acknowledge the power that my words have? And then the next question, the third question, I would argue, is how do I use my time or how do I use my energy? Look at Proverbs 3. In Proverbs uh, chapter 3, um, verse 27, it says this. This writer says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done no, you no harm. Do not envy the violent, or choose any of their ways, for the Lord detests the perverse, but takes up, takes the upright into his confidence. Um, so, anyway, I, I went a little further than I meant to, but um, but it, it it all sort of rings true. Is that there seems to be a particular way of, of being that su- suggests how I use my time, how I use my, use my energy, br- can bring some sort of light. Do not he, he talks about like if it's within your power to do something good and you don't do it, then what good is having the good thing? Um, there seems to be a particular ideology right now that believes that the best way to act is to do whatever makes people on the other side feel the worst. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and there's all sorts of language around surrounding this, but um, I, I, I've, I've noticed that it, it's almost like in, in certain circles and in certain environments, it's almost seen as a virtue to make someone on the other side feel bad. And and I think the wisdom writers, and Paul even, would say, what kind of life is that? Like, if, if, my, if, I'm, if I'm living my life as a way of trying to score points against people that I don't like, then what, like, is that wise? Does that bring goodness into the world? Does that make the world a better place? Or does that just bring more darkness and despair? How do I use my time? How do I use my energy? Do I, um, do I allow for the possibility that other people could use some grace and could use some s- compassion? Or, or am I just trying to score points? Um, am I just trying to win the argument, or do I actually care about the well-being of somebody else? How do I use my time, and how do I use my energy? These things matter. The w- wisdom writers are saying, like, yeah, the way, like, how, how I invest my energy, that, that's no small thing. That, that is a reflection of darkness or light, or of w- wisdom or, or foolishness. Then I, I would argue the next question that the wisdom writers are posing is what receives my attention what or what what deserves to receive my attention look at proverbs 4 uh, verse 20 it says my son pay attention to what i say turn your ears to my word do not let them out of your sight keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. So again, it goes back to, so he talks about attention, and then that directly leads it back to the words that we use. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before me. Give careful thought to your path of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So wisdom invites us to focus our attention on the things that bring goodness into the world. Wisdom is inviting us to say, maybe, and I, w- I would argue that in, in Ephesians 5, when Paul talks about like singing songs and like being filled with gratitude, he's getting at the same thing. I would argue he's echoing this notion in, in Proverbs that says, no, 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 the things that you pay attention to, the things that get your attention, the things that you listen to, the things that you read, the things that get, get the, your, um, the time that your, your brain can invest in those things, those things matter those are cumulative wisdom invites us to focus our attention on things that actually do bring goodness into the world um last year about about this time last year i was fully obsessed with rising case numbers in COVID. i had a spreadsheet Uh, i was checking the tarrant county health department's page more than once a day like as if they update it more than once a day they don't i i've checked um And so every single day, I would check the, I I would, like, it was was basically like my homepage almost, and I would check the numbers, I would see, like, how many new cases there were, which zip codes they were most prominent in, how many hospitalizations, like, what was the percentage of ventilator usage? Like, I was tracking the whole thing as if I was a medical expert. I'm not. But I was uh, was acting as if I could be, um, because I was fully obsessed with it. And I got to tell you, I was also going through clinical depression at that time, and not a great combination of things. Um, I, I can go ahead and take it right now um, one did not help the other um, and I think and so I, I was fully obsessed like that's all I could think about and I I think Paul and the wisdom writers would tell me that was not a very healthy way to live that was not a very wise way to live and this is not an invitation to ignorance I'm not saying like just don't be aware just ignore all the bad stuff and it won't be a problem like that's not I, I don't think that's what Paul is advocating either in fact there are lots of points along the way where Paul directly critiques the, the like political climate of his day where Paul directly goes after things like like the reign of Caesar and um, and so I, I don't think this is an invitation to ignorance I think what Paul's doing is I think he's saying don't obsessively fill your heads with things that just constantly are pulling you towards despair don't forget even in your darkest moments remember there are things that you have to be grateful for did you get a meal yesterday are there is there art that you I- enjoy is there music that you like is there are, are there things that 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 surround you that actually bring some sort of life into the world um, what, what gets your what gets your attention becomes the thing that you're like most capable of putting out into the world so I think Paul and the wisdom writers would say like no you are invited to, to fill your time and your attention with things that pull you out of despair as best you can with things that actually bring joy and gratitude and goodness into the world so maybe a follow up question to this is what's the homepage on your browser right now what, what is the thi- what, what's the first thing that gets your attention in the morning? Is it, is it something that reminds you that it's good to be alive, to, to wake up to all the ways that, you, that it's good that you're alive? Or is it something that reminds you that things are difficult? Because it's been my experience in the last year or so, I don't need very strong reminders that things are difficult, you know what I mean? But sometimes I do need reminders that there is hope and goodness and light in the world. So what gets my attention? What, what deserves to get my attention? I think the wisdom writers are asking this question. Like, if, if I spend all my time focused on darkness and despair, and I spend no time on goodness and gratitude, then that pulls me in a certain direction. And it becomes very, very difficult to bring light into the world when all I see is darkness. And so I think the wisdom writers are inviting us to go looking for light as best we can. I think that's what Paul is saying when he says like to sing songs and to fill sing songs that are filled with spirit I think he's saying like yeah don't forget that there's goodness in the world too is as difficult as it it can get let's never lose sight of the fact that we have the capacity to bring light into the world but in order to bring light into the world we have to remember that there is light in the world so um, then the final question is and I I think this is sort of the the question that kind of covers the whole thing which is what kind of world am I helping to create again Paul starts with light and darkness, and then he says, wake up. And then he says, don't forget, you have the capacity for wisdom, and you have the capacity for foolishness. Look, at, Go back to Proverbs 1. In Proverbs 1, verse 10, Paul writes, or Paul, it's not Paul, sorry. Uh, the, the wisdom writer says this. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's light and wait, lie and wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole whole I'm sorry, at whole, like those who go down in the pit. We will, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, cast lots with us. We will share in the loot. In other words, there are people who will invite you to participate in really, really dark narratives in really, really dark practices. And then in verse 15, it says, My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood, which I I love that expression. These men lie in wait for their own blood, which is a way of saying they think they're doing harm to other people, but they're actually doing harm to themselves. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of those who go after the ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So according to wisdom, there are those who are creating a more hostile, broken, violent world. And and there are people who are creating a more life-giving, whole, beautiful, loving, generous, peaceful, gracious world. And the invitation of wisdom is to create something better. The invitation of the wisdom literature is to say, here's the kind of world we're actually invited to participate in, and here's what it looks like to do that. What does it look like to bring light into the world? So when Paul writes to this group of people, you can bring light and you can bring darkness. You can be wise and you can be foolish. He's inviting us into a story. He's inviting us into a kind of narrative. He's saying, you have that kind of power. And when he talks about wisdom, wise, and foolish, his writers are fully aware of the tradition he's writing from. And and they understand all these things that we've just gotten, gotten done talking about. And so he's saying, you have that power. You have the power to bring light into the world and to create something better. You have the power to become the kind of person who brings light into the world. So may we do that. May we be the kinds of people who understand that our words have power, that our, how we use our time and our energy, how we spend our attention, those all contribute to the kind of world that we're helping to create. What kind of posture do, do I have? May I have the kind of posture of openness and curiosity? May I never shut, n- May I never be the kind of person who shuts down the conversation? May we always go looking for the next set of questions. And may we remember that wisdom is where the whole journey begins. May we be the kinds of people who are always looking to create light and bring light into the world. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this invitation to bring light into the world. We thank you for this invitation to be the kinds of people who are filled with grace and peace and love. May we be wise in how we do this. May we remember this invitation to to be wise. And may we remember that wisdom isn't just about smart and IQ. Wisdom is about what kind of world we're helping to create. May we use our time and our energy and our attention and our words to make this world a better place, to be more reflective of who you've called us to be. May we always remember that it is better to bring light into the world than to bring darkness. May we recognize that we have the power to do either, and may we choose to bring light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.